I guess what has been on my heart is something that I feel I struggle with. And uh, also, if, if you look around and uh, you can see it popping up everywhere in our lives, in people's lives, and uh, it's, uh, I want to speak on pride, the enemy of pride. And I guess it's something that's a daily struggle because it it just if you if you look at sometimes if you look at your day at the end of the day and you think through it about your motives and the things that you did, a lot of times it seems like it leads back to just the enemy of pride. And uh, just not being willing to surrender and to deal with some of the things that are in our lives that we have to deal with. We just ignore them. And I think that's a great danger because it has a snowball effect that just keeps getting bigger. And uh, I feel it also... We are in danger of falling prey to callousness, like Judas, as he was even walking with Christ and hearing the warnings and listening to his teachings each day and not doing anything about his own heart until it was too late. So it's just a message today on the dangers of pride. I want to begin uh, with uh, Second Chronicles. There's a story there of King Uzziah, chapter 26, Second Chronicles, chapter 26, 1 to 23. It says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Shakaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jebna and the wall of Ashdod, the cities in the territory of Ashdod and everywhere elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Meonites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah, and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem, at the corner gate, and at the valley gate, and at the angle, and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness, and cut out many cisterns, for he had large herds, both in the 
Chapela and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine, vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. In divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by James, the secretary and Masiah, the officer, and under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Isaiah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, he lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. My son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from the first to last, Isaiah, the prophet, son of Amos, rode. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings, for they said, He is a leper. And Jotham is in his place. It's an interesting story. Because generally we equate blessings and prosperity to the blessings of God, and that is true. But in this case, it is when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. It can be very real in our lives as well, because pride always overemphasizes self. Our hearts need to be God-focused and not self-focused. What we think, feel, have, want, or and desire is not what is important. If you are setting goals without God's input, then you are on pride's trail and you're heading for trouble. 
And I think at this point, as he became mighty and popular, he began to think that he is able to do anything he wants. I mean, what's the difference if I go in and offer incense in front of the Lord? But, and I think this drift in devotion to the Lord it was subtle. It's almost undetectable until this day that he finally, he did this. And you can see that as these priests came in and pointed it out in his life, pointed this thing out, it says he was angry. He was angry that they're stopping him from doing this. So it seems like he was not just satisfied to be the king. He wanted to be the priest as well. And it's uh, when pride, in Proverbs 11, 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. And it looks like a lot of times we feel um, this could never happen to us with these things. We look at the children of Israel and different people in the Bible and we say, this could never be us. I mean, look at all of the things that they experienced, the power of God, the miracles, can never happen to us. But this story here, it's one of those stories that it can happen. It, is, it comes at a time when we feel the most secure, when we feel the safest, with uh, whatever it is financially, um, physically, mentally, whatever it is. And many times, just like King Uzziah, we begin our Christian walk well. Our focus is set on God, and our hearts are fully committed to Him. But then with warning, pride begins to rise up, preventing us from being all God wants us to be, by leading us in our journey. And it's so easy, it can happen so easily, where... Like I said before, the beginning of you, you evaluate your day and you are truthful with what you did. A lot of times, it seems like the decisions that we made were solely based on ourselves, our own gain, our own um, security, our own well-being, or things like that. And I'm not standing here and saying that we're not a person, we need to take care of ourselves. But it's one of those things, pride is one of those slick things that it comes in unaware and... Uh, it just happens. How you could say 
undoubtedly it happens in our lives. And it tempts us to believe that we know better than God does. And if left unchecked, pride will alter our attitude toward God and the path he has chosen for us to take. And I think about this a lot. God will never force you down a path that that uh, you don't want to take, even if it's even if it's His will and uh, His His best desire and will for you is to go down that path. He will never force you to go down it. You are free to make we are free to make our own decisions in that and which paths we take. But I do think that one day, maybe this will happen that God will show us what could have been, what we could have been if we had just stepped out in faith, if we had seen things for what they are, and how we could have made a difference here if we, if we had chosen to actually take a step of faith and do what we felt we needed to do. So it's a daily struggle. We need to be aware that Satan's goal is to destroy and to divide and to conquer the lives of God's children. And he never gives up on his quest to reach this goal, wreak as much havoc as possible in the life of a believer. So pride is one of the most devastating results. You can have one of the most devastating results. Many problems result from work in our lives. But too many people fail to realize this. They become prideful over the good things God has given them. Prideful about their jobs, their gifts and abilities, their churches, their education or knowledge, even their children or family. You can be prideful of that. And many more things can be added to the list. God is very specific about pride. It's one of the things that he doesn't mince words about. He hates pride. In fact, he says it's one of the things on his list that is on the top sins. He says in Proverbs 8.13, Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. So we don't have to question whether this is something that he dislikes. And James 4.6 says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And if you look at this verse here, you take it apart a little. It says, the Greek word for opposes, or some translations say resist, is literally to range in battle against. And humble is those of low degree, or literally not rising far from the ground. So, if you look at this, God resists the proud. He is basically ranging in battle against you if we have a prideful heart or are dealing with pride in our lives. It's just like King Uzziah, as he was there, how God was against him, that he struck him with leprosy right there immediately. And uh, he says, but he gives grace to the humble. And 
In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, 1 Peter. And each morning, the enemy lays out his landmines in our lives. And if we're not discerning, we fall prey to his tactics. A landmine of pride will just continue to wreck everything in your life. And uh, it can literally kill you, as we can see here in Scripture in one case with King Herod. It can, pride can literally person. It says on, in uh, Acts 12, verses 2 to 3, the NIV says, On the appointed day Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. And I know this is, an, this is a severe case, or account. We know that he is not a believer, but it just shows you that this this thing of God resisting the proud, he definitely resisted Herod. And uh, We can never come to the place, I think it would be wrong for us to come to the place where we say, well, this, again, could never happen to me because I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I'm not like Herod. But God does have his ways of humbling us. And uh, it's... uh, Pride is one of those things that will most likely keep you from crying out for a Savior. And when we think we are well, we don't go looking for a doctor. But as seriously dangerous as pride is, it's equally hard to spot. When it comes to diagnosing our hearts, those of us who have the disease of pride have a challenging time identifying our sickness. Because pride infects our eyesight, causing us to view ourselves through a lens that colors and distorts reality. Pride will paint even our ugliness of sin as maybe even commendable. And it's actually, it's strange, but that can happen. That we have such a view of God and taking such advantage of his grace and his mercy that we feel it's not such a big deal. And I recently actually saw this where this one lady said, uh, while she was, she was uh, a person challenged her on why she was swearing. And she said, I'm spiritual too. You know, this lady had said, I'm spiritual. And she, as she was talking, she was using uh, cuss words and things like that. And this lady said, well, why, why are you swearing? And she basically brought out, well, God swears too. I mean, that's how far these things can come in your mind. Of painting 
these things in our lives and saying somehow they are commendable. It's okay to do these things because either this person deserved it or um, it's not such a bad thing. Um, and we, we, um, we don't use the right measuring stick in these things. It's, uh, I, have a, I have a short thing here that says, a self-righteous man once boasted to a Christian friend of his, you know, John, I'm not such a bad fellow. There are many worse than I am. His friend replied, Ivor, you are measuring yourself by the wrong standard. You measure yourself by the harlots and drunkards you see in the dark alleys, and you feel quite satisfied by comparison. But go and measure yourself along Jesus Christ and see how you make out. No person's life cuts much of a figure when placed along the perfect life of Christ. The life of the Lord Jesus shows us how crooked and defiled our own lives really are. It is no wonder God says there is none righteous, no, not one. That is the measuring stick that we have to measure ourselves ourselves on. And it says in Psalms 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I think uh, the, the place... It's one of the, it's a beautiful thing to come to this place where you can lay yourself out and say, Lord, search me. I want to be utterly honest with myself. And uh, just show me the things in my life where I'm prideful, where I'm hanging on to certain things and uh, that I don't see. So I want to go through a list here. Um, that maybe you can see yourself in, or maybe we can see ourselves in and just uh, look through them, see how pride works in our lives. And the first one I have is assuming, and a lot of them are are short. I'm not going to be spending a lot of time on them. So number one, assuming you already know something when someone is teaching. When you immediately tune someone out who starts teaching you something that you may be somewhat familiar with, this could be an example of pride. This the assumption to know everything about the subject being communicated and that this person, whom you see as inferior in knowledge to you, cannot teach you something new. It can be very real in our lives, especially if we feel that we're somewhat spiritually elevated above other people. That we, we look at these people, what in the world, how, what can this person teach me? He mean, he's, uh, he doesn't know anything about the word. And some of the greatest lessons come from the oddest places and the oddest people. And I think we can learn a lot of life's lessons from even the most unexpected places. And you can see it in the life of Christ. He took time for 
the lowest of people and he spent time with them. We see it with Zacchaeus. We see it with uh, the woman at the well. We see it with the harlot. And all of these things, there were lessons in them uh, for everyone. And the second one that I have is seeing yourself as too good to perform certain tasks. When someone asks you to do something, your immediate thought is, I, of all people, shouldn't have to do that. That task is beneath me. It's for someone else. It could also be a sign of pride that you should consider looking at. It's especially prevalent if you feel that you are in a position where you feel you can no longer be bothered with the tasks that are assigned to people much younger than you are. The thought of this task is beneath me. I cannot be seen doing this in public. This can also be very real. But we have the example of Christ in John 3, uh, 3 to 5. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. They aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This is the example that we should have. Laying aside his outer garments. I don't just, I think it doesn't just, I mean, why was this detail in here? Why did it need to mention that he laid aside his outer garments? Was it because he didn't want to get them messy? No, I think it's the significance of Humility, laying aside his outer garments. And I'm not, I guess, I had something on underneath, but it's definitely a sign of humility. And it's countercultural, this, this type of behavior. I mean, the God of the universe is not supposed to humble himself to wash someone's feet. I mean, that's a task for servants. But this is what he did. And he did ask them later, do you understand what I have done to you? And you have to ponder this, this phrase, do you understand what I have done to you? And I think it answers it a little bit in Philippians 2, verses 5. It says, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. <clears throat> so the humility in Christ's life was not just evident in this great sacrifice, but in his everyday life as he was teaching his disciples of how to live. Humility seems inappropriate because as humans we're taught to hide. We prefer covering up by using protective mechanisms. We hide behind our pain, 
our pride and our positions. We hide behind the power we think we hold or the past we can't let go of. We choose protection over humility until we eventually perceive our outer garments as total substance. However, there is in the garments we wear and the illusions we create. When we allow God to expose our outer garments for what they really are, we can finally find the freedom to shed our defensive mechanisms and the grace to lay them down. Only when we shed our layers of protection with humility can God clothe us with his righteousness. So, in a sense, those outer garments have to be shed in order for us to humble ourselves. Number three, being too proud to ask for help. A lot of times I've read many stories of people that were really going through difficult times. And uh, like in the depression or whatever. And when someone wanted to help them, they would never accept it because that would, that would be a sign of weakness. It would be a sign of they cannot, I can't provide for my own family. Being too proud to ask for help. So there is something to be said for independence. However, there are times in life when we must all admit that something is beyond our capacity and that we need help. The unwillingness to recognize our own shortcomings and the need for help is a sign of pride. And from experience, as I, Jacob mentioned, confessing your faults, from experience, you come away a lot of times with one thing. Why didn't I do this sooner? That's just the way it is. Why didn't I do this sooner? Because this person was able to help you through it. He was able to point out things that you had missed and to just walk through it with you. The next one, feeling the need to consistently teach people things. So have you ever been in a group where someone feels the need to dominate the conversation and seemingly spill everything they know without giving other people the opportunity to share? Sometimes this can be a sign of pride because when a person knows something that they know most other people don't know much about, it creates a sense of pride within them. And I do believe we have to guard ourselves from this that we don't dominate the conversations around us, that we give everyone a chance to share. And I know I have a tendency to do that as well, even in school with the children. Sometimes you you feel like, well, what did they, again, what did they have to share? I mean, what what would I learn from them? I mean, they have nothing that um, that would make me you know, that could help me in my, my life. But if you have to feel the need to consistently teach other people things, you have to check yourselves to see if this is actually pride or if it is actually you do want to impart your knowledge uh, because you feel that it will make a difference in people's lives or that you simply want people to 
know that, hey, I'm a smart person. I know things. Next one, thinking you are better than others who are different and less fortunate. And I know this is a very clear or easy one to point out, but it's a subtle one. Because a person can appear to be humble and caring on the outside. However, in their minds, they secretly think they are better than other people who may have come from a different background, a different culture, or different experiences than we do. And I think it's uh, wrong to say it does not, it never affects us, it doesn't come up in our lives. Because all you need to do is listen, especially on cultural levels and uh, different ethnicities. We have a tendency to take people and to clump them all together and put them in a certain group in our minds and things like that. And say, they're all like that. The Grecians, they're all, you know, like that. But I don't think that's right. And one of the things that I've noticed is it trickles down to our children. And uh, they sometimes say the strangest things, but they have no idea why they said it. They just say it because they heard it from someone else. And usually, or sometimes it uh, comes out when we speak about governments, when we speak about presidents, when we speak about um, political parties, when we speak about, again, uh, ethnic groups, blacks, Indians, whites, whatever it is. I do believe it comes from pride. It can come from pride. And uh, we fail to understand that when God looks at these people, that he loves them just as much as he loves us. He wants them to come to him just as, he want, just as much as he wants them, uh, us to come to him. He died for each one just as he died for us. So we have to be careful in these things. The next one is when you disregard the advice of others. This has its root in thinking you have all the answers to life and somehow you don't see or need to see the value in other people's perspectives. Carries the idea that you believe that you can be successful and accomplish your goals without the counsel of others. This can be pride. Next one is when you're constantly critical. This is when we tend to put others down often because there is a deep-seated need for us to feel better about ourselves. People who are critical are that way because they secretly see themselves as exempt from the very same things they criticize others. Being critical. And I know this is true because it's, it's something that's personal in my life. That the reason a lot of times that we're critical is that we're simply saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this person. And 
we we just want to maybe not even knowingly or conscientiously we elevate ourselves because we're not like that person who's doing these things. So while pride causes us to filter out the evil we see in ourselves, it also causes us to filter out God's goodness in others. We sift them, letting only their faults fall into our perception of them. So it's pride that prompts the temptation to skip the Spirit's surgery on my part. And even as we sit here, Maybe you think, well, I'm glad this person is hearing this because they really need to hear it. That's also, as far as I'm concerned, it's pride because it's a temptation of saying you're failing to focus in on your heart and saying, Lord, where am I failing in this? And the next one is unwilling to submit to authority. When a person is unwilling to submit to authority at work, or in a home church, or at home, or even in a different other relationship, it's because deep within the person they believe they could make better decisions than the person God has placed over them. So they submit outwardly, but inwardly they struggle to accept the subordinate position they are in. It's going to be very true that our submission... We can submit outwardly. We can definitely do that. But as soon as the pressure is being put on, a lot of times, we see whether we're truly submitted to authority or not. And some of those things come out even as in simple things like when a police officer stops you for speeding. And somehow in our minds think that, you know, we justify it. Even though we broke a law, we justify it and say, don't you have anything better to do than give me a fine? And somehow we say, I mean, go do something else. It's simply, I think it's because of pride that we don't say, yes, I broke the law and I deserve to be fined. It is this unwillingness to submit to authority. And we know that the government has been placed in authority, in the position of authority by God. And yet a lot of times we chafe against it. So, next one is something that's personal for me, is being defensive. A brother once told me that there are a few ways people react when they receive a correction or rebuke. The first one is that they instantly just give it all back to the person that that spoke to you about something like or that uh, came to you and pointed something out. Instant um, getting out your guns and firing back in a defensive manner. The second is that they listen to what you have to say, but they leave and nothing changes. Nothing changed. The third one is that they are defensive at first, 
But later on, they come around and say, you know, after thinking about it, after searching my heart, I found out that there is truth. There, what you said was true. So we have an op- we have a, an option there when these things happen. When a brother comes to us, what do we do? What will we allow pride? I mean, will we allow pride to take over? Because if you simply ignore it and walk away, and I feel that that is a um, it's a fruit of pride. So, in closing, again, this Psalm, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I do think it's a daily struggle against pride. I don't think we'll ever fully conquer it. But our hearts should be to fully conquer it. The main thing is that that um, we keep ourselves in a humble mindset, and that we continuously ask God to show us these things. So we can never think that we have finished off pride. I have this short illustration story that I've used before. It says, Polly, this bull has killed me. For the last words of Jose Cubero, one of Spain's most remarkable matadors, before he lost consciousness and died. Only 21 years old, he had been enjoying a spectacular career. However, in this 1958 bullfight, Jose made a tragic mistake. He thrust his sword a final time into a bleeding, delirious bull, which then collapsed. Considering the struggle finished, Jose turned to the crowd to acknowledge the applause. The bull, however, was not dead. It rose and lunged at the unsuspecting matador, its horn piercing his back and puncturing his heart. Just when we think we finished off pride, just when we turn to accept the congratulations of the crowd, pride stabs us in the back. We should never consider pride dead before we are. So it's a daily struggle. And there are a lot of aspects, a lot of different ways that pride can creep into our lives. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg of what I shared here. But God is faithful. He has his ways of if we if we say if we pray these prayers lord show me if there's any pride in our lives and don't be surprised if the next few days you might find yourself in a situation where you reacted in a wrong way i think it's simply an answer to prayer it's an answer that god is showing you something in your life that you prayed about so it is possible to overcome. And I think we've, we've seen examples in people's lives where they have mellowed out. They have um, overcome some areas of pride in their lives. So that is a good thing.
Thank you, listening, and God bless you.